Blog Talk Radio. I have an emergency. What is your location? Hey, welcome to Rescue Radio, and we're back. I'm Margie. And I'm Jerry. And we're here to talk with you tonight. I hope that you get some time to call in as you've joined us. You know, it's kind of interesting, um, as our little lead-in kind of gives us the sense that we're here to talk about things that are urgent, emergencies, things that are critical. And um, I think one of the things that's critical about the situation of Christians these days is we do not recognize how critical this situation that we're in is the emergency um, that's going on, the, the, the war that's going on for our souls. Yeah, and it's important that we understand uh, the grace of God because a lot of times what happens is that we, we're, we're saved by grace through faith and yet we're trying to continue to be saved or we, we still think we still have some things that we must do in order to accomplish our salvation, so to speak. Yeah, that's well put. You know, tonight we're going to talk about what is the will of God in the gray areas. And I know a lot of you have questions about that sort of thing. But before we can really talk about God's will in the gray areas, we need to talk a couple of, a little bit about what goes behind that. Why are we having trouble understanding God's will? Uh, and as you said, grace. And what is, what's it mean when we start going back to the law? Paul says, if I go back... I become a debtor, you know, to the law. I crucify Christ again, he says in Galatians chapter 2. Yeah, and a lot of us don't, you know, don't think, oh, I'm going to go, I got to go obey the Old Testament law now in order to continue my salvation. But what happens is that, um, you know, we we get a little bit mixed up. We get uh, involved with trying instead of trusting Mm -hmm. and, and, and working instead of resting. Now, grace, grace works. In other words, <laughs> grace works. They're the results of God's grace in our lives they're, they're, produces the fruit of the Spirit of God. So it's not what we are doing or striving to do, trying to do this. I've heard so many, Margie, I've heard so many messages and teachings over the years that says, try to do this, try, try, try. And that just does not work. It, it just sets us up for failure. Well, you know, Paul talked about this. I think the big, the biggest thing that was on Paul's heart and the biggest uh, burden that he carried was the burden of giving us the understanding of the purposes of grace. What what was the the law? Why, what was the purpose that the law served? And a lot of ni- times, I think the enemy wants us to get a mixed up gospel. He doesn't want us to understand the, that the work has been done. He says, "Oh, that's too easy. That's uh, you know I, that that just can't be that easy." And so, for example, if we go into Romans chapter seven. Um, that, that Romans is a fabulous book, but you go into Romans 7 where he starts to talk about um, that we have become dead to the law through the body of Christ. In other words, the law was our, um, it's like we were married to the law, uh, and the law was there to, you know, teach us, show us, convince us of our sin. Yeah, Galatians says that uh, the, the law was our schoolmaster or our tutor 
to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Really, one of the things it served to, it served as a parameter to keep us from going into, you know, basically self-destruction and the destruction of others. But it also showed us that we are not able in ourselves to save ourselves by anything that we do. We have to come to rely on the full, completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, yeah, and that sounds pretty easy, honey. It just sounds too easy, you know, and people still think, well, but, you know, we're so motivated and, and programmed to be people that do stuff. We've been taught, programmed, if you will, to to be responsible and get ahead and take, uh, you know, uh, use our minds, figure things out, um, just do stuff. We do a lot of stuff. We got to do, do, do. That's what our society tells us we got to do in order to get ahead. We got to do stuff. But Paul is saying here, you know, the law cannot save us. As a matter of fact, we're dead to the law. When you become a Christian, there's, there's, there's both a life, a born again process, but there's also a death process. And the death process is, uh, sets us free from this world and its jurisdiction over us, which was and includes the law. So it's, it's like saying when he's using the example, like when you're married to someone and that person dies, you are free from being under the, the dominion or jurisdiction of that person. You're free then to go forward. And he said, you are dead. The law was completed, satisfied, fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And yet many believers try to fulfill the will of God and figure out the will of God by going back into the law. I know for some of you this is like, oh, I just this is so boring. I just don't get this. This bothers me a lot. But you know, this is a basic foundation for grace, freedom, and for the moving in the Spirit, for miracles, for the gifts of the Spirit. It all comes out of the Spirit now, not out of a certain set of rules and regulations. Yeah, it comes out of the Spirit of God that lives within every believer. And so it's it's not just some conforming to some external code. You know, it's like the little uh, boy uh, in the high chair, about uh, two years old, and uh, and he was wanting to stand up in his high chair all the time. And his parents said, you know, sit down, son, and he wouldn't listen. They had to repeat it about three times. Finally, he sat down and he says well i sat down but i'm still uh, I, I sat down but i'm still standing up inside so so he was he was following the rule of the parents but inside there was still that that rebellion but what happens is under grace god gives us the uh, the change of heart so we desire to do the will of god it's uh, jeremiah talked about it in jeremiah chapter 31 he would write his laws within our hearts and minds. And so there is that fulfilling of uh, Christ has fulfilled the law, but there is that work of the Spirit that produces all the goodness from us. It's not our self-effort. It's us simply cooperating with, this, what, uh, with the Spirit of the living God. Well, you know, part of the problem is that we don't separate and understand the difference between salvation and sanctification. Sanctification is the process of regenerating, transforming, um, deprogramming us from the, from the pit and the, and the works of darkness that the enemy has sort of um, uh, set up in our minds, the mindsets, the belief systems, uh, the influences of the experiences we come out of, our own thoughts towards ourselves. The enemy has done a lot to program us, and we don't really even think the enemy exists, but guilt, condemnation, fear, um, the unloving spirits, rebellion, uh, the deaf and dumb spirits, all of them, they kind of work together to set us up in, a, in, a, in opposition to ourselves and separate us from God. But when Paul is talking about um, when we were alive in our flesh, that is before we were saved, 
Um, the only way we operated in this world or navigated through the world was the use of using our body and our soul. And like we talked about before, the soul is your mind, will, and emotion. So that was your navigating software. But after we're quickened, he said, when you were yet dead in sins and trespasses, he quickens us. Then our spirit man gets lit. Um, the candle gets lit. And we're now, we now have a second option to choose to whether we're going to continue to walk in the flesh, the old mindsets, the old belief systems, the old lies, which is the problem, or begin to walk in the spirit of God being led by his spirit, his spirit bearing witness with our spirit. So that's where sanctification, it's a, it's a journey, it's a process. You don't, you don't start out perfect. I mean, you don't learn this in two weeks. I mean, it's, it's like a walk with the Lord and the spirit guides us. Yeah, Jesus said uh, we're to make disciples of all the nations. And so a disciple is a follower and a student. So a student doesn't learn, doesn't get some injection, once and for all injections, and they say, oh, I know all this stuff. But it's a process, as Margie said. It's a process of, of following the Lord, uh, learning uh, the Word, the ways of God, the heart of God, the love of God. As we, and as we follow in, in that instruction and, and the experiences that God gives us, he, he builds a story into our lives of His wonderful grace. If we don't do it that way, we'll become extremely frustrated because, um, you know, the Bible says that we are to serve now in newness of life, not in the oldness of the letter. Jesus said the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life. Many Christians are living and serving God um, under the spirit of guilt and unworthiness and feeling separated from God. And you know what? This is just not going to be good enough. This will not get us through. We have to have an intimate restful, peaceful, knowing I am loved relationship with God, then understanding the will of God in the gray areas becomes a lot easier because we understand that Jesus knows our every weakness and he was down here with us. He, he got it. He understood it. And he's made a way for us to succeed by putting the Holy Spirit inside of us. Now, you know, the problem is, though, that just because we get saved, sin doesn't leave us. Now, in Romans chapter 7, if you want to look at this, it's in tremendously kind of deep, but take your time, read it through, you know, spend a little time meditating on it. In Romans 7, 8, Paul's talking about um, sin and me and the law. When you put the three together, they produce evil desires. So the law is kind of there. Sin gets its, its definition and its existence from the law. It's like the law, if there is no law, there is no sin. But because the, there's a law, there's sin. Now, we already have problems with sin, and, the whole, and, and Paul is saying, get, you know, don't look to the law anymore to get rid of your sin. Don't look to being perfect. Don't look to, to performing. Um, a lot of people mix things. They, they question, like, the question is like, well, should we worship on this day or that day, or should we eat this or shouldn't we eat this, or should we go there or shouldn't we go there? Um, should we marry this guy? Should we marry this guy? You know, it's all kind of like you're trying to still figure it out instead of walking in the Spirit. We're trying to figure it out. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, because there, um, Jesus said, "Why uh, talk to the? Uh, I think it was the scribes, Pharisees, lawyers at one point." And he said, uh, maybe a couple of different points there. He said, "Why do you reason in your hearts?" Mm-hmm. So, so a lot of times, doesn't God gave us uh, a, a brains? He gave us uh, the ability to think uh, uh, logically. Uh, at the same time, that this this stuff comes. Not by reason, but by by revelation. God showing us and God teaching us and giving us understanding as we as we move along through our lives in uh, in, in trusting Him. You know, I think one of the reasons that the law still maintains so much power and influence over us is because we are made in the image of God, and we still see ourselves quite 
flawed. We have character defects. We have sins. We have behaviors. We have patterns, habits. We have things that we don't like. And we just are impatient. And we don't, we don't want to, you know, leave it up to God to get rid of it. We kind of want to do it ourselves. But the sin, you know, the more you pull the law back into your life, the more you're going to be aware of your sin. The more you focus on the sin in your life, the less you're going to focus on Jesus. The more you focus on Jesus and the revelation of Christ, the more freedom and truth you're going to have. Yeah, let me jump in here on that a little bit. Um, so many times, we, you know, what, what's our focus? If our focus is on sin, um, sin and repentance, sin and repentance, you know, so sin and confession, sin and confession, it's nothing. And we, obviously, if if we are, uh, we do have sin, we need to confess, forsake. So we'll have, the scripture says we'll have mercy if we do so. Repentance, turning from one direction, going the opposite direction, um, so as, as we do that though, uh, the repentance is very, very important and, uh, just pick it up next year. Okay. So repentance means changing your mind. And I think let's go back to sin and repent, sin and repent. You go to the altar, you cry, you, you confess your sin, you feel bad about it, you know, or some people, they go to confession, kind of same deal. You go there. And you go out and you do it again. You do it again and again. You never get to the real root of the sin. The sin is the fruit. The root of that sin it would be the lie that you're believing. Like maybe the lie is, um, I'm stupid. And so when you agree with I'm stupid, then I'm stupid. The spirit of stupidity or whatever will come and, and enforce or, or promote or you know influence your world in such a way that you will feel stupid or be set up to feel stupid. So you just keep going back and forth playing with the devil, trying harder to beat yourself at your own game and, you know, and, and what we become is frustrated. And I remember when I was about 19 or so, I spent my, my first 19 years very devout in the religion that I was brought up in. And um, we had these, you know, weekly duties, um, sacraments and uh, sacrifices and stuff. I mean, and, and very devoted, very devout, you know, keeping all the, the little laws, the rules. And at, at about 19, I said, as I came out of the, the confessional one day I said, you know what, uh, I haven't changed a bit. Nothing's changed. I haven't changed. My, my, my uh, penance hasn't changed. Um, this is my conclusion. This is not working. And that was when I was young and influential or influenced by, you know, the world and stuff. And so for about three, four years, I just walked away and I said, this God stuff, who even knows if God even, is even real? I mean, and this is kind of, I think, a lot of what happens with people. They just kind of saying, you know what? whatever, God, whatever, I can't figure it out, I don't get it, you don't make sense, um, maybe there's a heaven, maybe there's a hell, a lot of people these days are just trying to you say there's no hell, there's no heaven, God couldn't be that bad, that mad, that mean, um, so I'm just going to do the best I can and take my chances, and I think that's where a lot of people are these days, and that's, for, the, for them, that's very scary, but for the Christians who are caught there, who, who could do, uh, who could know the truth and walk in freedom, it's very sad. I would say that the uh, the more we focus on sin, on our sin, the more we're going to sin. But the more the more we focus on Jesus Christ Himself, the less we're going to sin. Well, and and that's true. And focusing on the sin requires that we are very um, aware of the law. You're made in the image of God, so again, we don't want to be breaking the law. We want to be holy. We want to be good and perfect. But the law is like a mirror. You look in the mirror, and you see you've got a smudge on your face. Well. The mirror does not wash you. The water washes you. And Jesus said you're clean through the water, through the washing of the water of the word. So if you really want to get clean in your soul and your spirit and your life, 
in your attitudes, relationships, begin to wash yourself yourself in the word and read the word of God. So the law just becomes a tool that frustrates us after a while because if you just look at, in the mirror constantly to see the spot and it never goes away, pretty soon you're going to just believe I am the spot. The spot is me. That, that I am the addict that I see my, I am, you know, I am the whatever, the, the abuser. I am the bad, horrible that I hate. I am the evil I hate. And if Satan can get us to believe that we're the evil we hate, he is now changing, trying to um, condition us, recondition us, psychologically reprogram us to believe not that we are who God says, created in his image, but that we are evil, we are bad, and we really hate that. So the, the tension and the, the torture rack is being set up so that now when we get to the real nitty-gritty things of life, like what's the will of God and what am I supposed to do, we are just like thrown off the road under the bus. Yeah, it's again, it's the life of Jesus Christ that is is, is being... Um, has been implanted within us. It's being uh, released through us as we as we obey uh, Him. It's 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 a matter of the Spirit of God um, carrying us, helping us, guiding us, and uh, that's you know as we get in in a little while here, looking into these uh, so-called gray areas, um, that's where we uh, uh, find our confidence is in the uh, the Word of God and the uh, Spirit of God as we. Uh, as we move forward in our life with the Lord. Well, we're also welcome, uh, welcoming you to call us and have conversations with us about these things. Um, please don't f- be afraid. The number, if you want to call us, is uh, 347-218-8051. I'm sorry. I, I said that wrong. I'll say that again. <laughs> 347-215-8051. You know how that goes, kind of dyslexic a little bit there. But anyway, so call us. Come on. We're real people, and we want to talk to you uh, about real things, things that are going to make the difference between now and, and the end. And, uh, you know, I, I, I keep – I was bothered a lot, you know, in, the, in days gone by when I hear these people who are – you know, they – I shouldn't even probably say this. Maybe I shouldn't say this on the radio, but maybe it will provoke somebody. I, I think you should say it right oh, now, honey. I'm scared. I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. What are they going to think of me? Is that man fear? Oh, <laughs> but I'll tell you the truth. I was kind of bothered, um, spiritually bothered, by people who I would say, you know, do this kind of carding people on the street about their sins. I'm sure you've heard of that. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever, you know, whatever, whatever? Then you're a, then you're a sinner. Then, well, uh, okay, yeah, you've proved me to be a sinner. That's what the law does. But now what do I do? Um, well, get saved. Well, guess what? After you get saved, you still sin. So how does that help people once they're saved to, you know, say, okay, I'm still sinning. Well, then must, maybe I'm not saved. I mean, maybe that was a false conversion. Maybe it wasn't really an intention in my heart. And we talked a little bit about that last time, about the assurance and the feelings of salvation. Salvation is not a feeling. It is, it's a fact. You know, you can do the dishes without feeling like doing the dishes, and you can get the dishes done without feeling like doing them. They can actually get washed Stacked, dried, put in the cupboard, and you didn't feel like doing it. And the same goes with this sort of stuff. You know, we always base everything on a feeling. Well, I got to feel, I got to feel, feel, feel. My feelings change from moment to moment. Have you ever noticed that in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning, you're kind of full of energy and all the day looks good and you feel great and you're going to conquer the world today and get it all done and you got 25 things more on your list than you're ever going to accomplish in the day. But by 4.30 in the afternoon, your blood sugar's a little low and you're hungry and tired and things went wrong and 
you don't feel like you're going to do anything. And so within that span of a few hours, your feelings have completely changed. If we base our life, our salvation on our feelings, the devil will have a heyday with you. You've got to check that out. And, and he, listen to your mouth. Your mouth will tell you what you're doing in your, inside of you. You say, oh, I feel. I feel depressed. I feel mad. I feel upset. I'm, I am. I am and I am. Whenever you say I am and you put something behind it, you've just come into an agreement with whatever it was you agreed with. I am stupid. I am alone. I am depressed. No one loves me. Poor me. Um, nobody understands me. All of these uh, statements that come out of your mouth because there's life and death and the power of the tongue those words become powerful. So we are programming ourselves or the devil's programming us through our own mouths and we're not stopping him. So going back to feelings, if I am letting the devil tell me how I feel and you say, well, can Christians have demons? Well, where do you suppose, Jesus, what was Jesus doing when he was here casting out phantoms? I mean, these were demons that actually occupied people. You say, well, they were, maybe weren't Christians. Well, they were followers and they were following him and, you know, they, some of them, like Peter and James and John, he actually talked to demons in them or told them they didn't know what the spirit they were listening to. So I really believe a Christian can have a rat in their house that does not make you a rat having a rat in your house or a bat. So but we need to know that there is a, there's hope, and the hope is not in walking in our feelings or in our thinking. I think I can do it. I'm trying to figure it out. But it comes from resting in God and saying, thank you, God. You finished the work on the cross. You put... You satisfied the law. I do not need to consider the law anymore. But before we go any further in that, and if you have any questions on that, call us. But, you know, when you take someone to the place of showing them their sin, and then you show them salvation, and you don't show them a salvation based on grace, what do you do? You set them up to try harder to not lie anymore, not steal anymore. And that's what a lot of our churches do. A lot of people uh, really give up because before they start because they think they have to live such a perfect life. They're not going to have any fun anymore, all that sort of thing. Again, uh, just a little overlap from those of you that were with us last week. It's that when you, when you follow Christ and you really know him in your heart and you know his love, um, sin is not the rule anymore. It's going to be the exception. And and for the first time in your life, you have power not to sin. You have you have the ability to choose to follow the Lord. We have our we have our will. It's not a matter of will power. It's a matter of our will uh, and His power that uh, gives us the liberty to live the way that Christ would have us live. Well, because you know sin, um, because we're saved, we still sin. What's really happening is God is going through the programs that the devil is written in our minds and in our hearts. And he's through the sin, through the behavior, he's pointing out places where we're still believing lies. So actually the sin can become quite a helpful thing, not that you're going to go practice it on purpose. But when you see yourself being irritated or upset or impatient or, you know, thinking thoughts that are mean and uh, or doing things that are unkind or whatever, and you see yourself doing that, you need to stop and say, Lord, what what's the deal here? What is the lie that I am believing that causes me to act like this? And what is the what is the truth? And where did I first believe that lie? So the Lord will begin to show you. Well, you began to believe that when you were a little kid. I'll give you kind of a story on myself. Probably I said this already, but you know when I was growing up in my family, um, there were nine kids in the family, our, and I was the oldest. But because there's so many kids, and at, at mealtime, you know, everybody was talking at the same time, and I was with my sister this weekend. She says, you know, I have developed this ability to listen, 
to other people, two other people at least, that are talking at the same time that I am talking, and I can talk, and I can listen, and I can hear and understand everything that's going on at the same time. Well, maybe she can. That's quite, a, quite an ability, but I, I know that I have learned through that circumstance to begin to talk fast, as you probably already have noticed. I talk a little fast, but and the other reason I talk fast is because um, I am also prone to forget what I want to say, and so I'm going to say it before I forget it, if that makes any sense. So that's how I was programmed. I'm programmed to believe the lie that if I don't talk fast, I won't get to say what I want to say. And secondly, if I don't talk fast, I will forget what I want to say. So those are two lies. And so the Lord can say to me something like, whoa, whoa, slow down, girl. You know, you, it's okay. I, you can remember what you want to say because my, I've given you a sound mind. And so when you go back to that memory of sitting around the table, everybody's talking all at the same time, what I can say is, you know what, Lord, I cancel out that agreement with I've got to talk fast in order to get anything in. Um, who cares if they hear you or not? I guess that that's another lie. You know, you just talked whether they heard you or not. And that's probably another lie I need to work on But with the Lord. But, but see how you go back and say, you know what, Lord, that was an old lie programmed into me by my pit experiences. And I'm going to cancel out. And I'm going to say, you know what, God, you're there. You were there. And what's the truth you want me to know? The truth is hmm, you got something to say and you need to say it. You can take your time saying it. It's worth listening to. And see, so then when you start to believe that truth, that goes into your spirit. And now you can start to walk in a new place. Yeah, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Things, when we come to Christ, there are things that happen instantaneously. Uh, the scripture says in Psalms that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So there's, there's instant forgiveness. There's cleansing. You become a new creation. Um, you're in the book of life. You're you're there. You're a new creation. It's a it's a birth. It's a new birth. It's it's called being born again. Then you know after that there's this process of uh, of sanctification that we've been talking about. Yeah. yeah and with the with, I'm, with the born again, as you're born again, you also die. You die to the law. Put that thing away. Now let the Holy Spirit lead you into all truth. He's come to dwell inside of us with the temple. If you let the Holy Spirit drive the bus, instead of you worried about, worried about driving the bus and you're too little to even reach the pedals and you don't have a driver's license and you don't know where you're going and the bus is pretty big and clumsy, why don't you just let the, the Holy Spirit drive the bus of your life and you relax? That would be a new thing for some of you now, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's it's just like I mean I don't I don't get all stressed out when I get on an airplane. Some some people do. They just have that uh-huh. fear of flying. But I just sit there and just just rest and relax. Take a nap. I take a nap. I read. I you know whatever I want to do. Talk to somebody. It's just like I'm I'm there. I know I'm in the plane, and I trust the pilot. Now the pilot's going to get me. By the grace of God, the pilot's going to get me to my destination. And it's Jesus is the He's the captain of our salvation. He's going to get us where we need to be. And, you know, speaking of planes, that's a good analogy. You can think of it this way. You know, we could either walk to our destination, and that would be a a lot of work. Let's just say that you're in Minnesota and you're going to walk to Chicago. So you're going to work your way to Chicago. You're going to walk. That is called the law. That is called you earn it. You work it. You, you You sweat it out. Now, you can fly to Chicago. That would be called grace. And there, you know, you're going to be carried, not that you're going to, and you're going to get there in better shape. And you're going to get there with the strength to do what God called you to do in Chicago. So the law is like gravity. It pulls you down. It holds you back. 
But flying is like aerodynamics. You know, you, you catch the wind and the wind carries you. And I think God gave us that kind of a, a parable, a parable, a parallel of, of, you know, transportation so that we can see that you can go there uh, by resting just as well as by working yourself to death. There's an old poem uh, that goes like this, and this really, I think, illustrates well the, you know, the relationship between law and grace and the difference. And it goes like this, to run and work the law commands, but it gives me neither feet nor hands, but better news the gospel brings, it bids me fly and give me, gives me wings. And so that's really what it is. It, it says it very, very well. And uh, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, you know, just rest in that process. Sometimes you just need to be more, you know, we have to learn to be, you know, we learn to be patient with one another. Be patient uh, with yourself. Let God work in you. Let God change you. Uh, Humble yourself before him. And just say, Lord, okay, I can't do it. I'm just going to trust you. You work in me. I want to follow what you have to say to me. Um, and even in these, you know, as we get into the gray areas down the line here, um, that that process, trust that God knows what he's doing. He's You're, you're a work of, 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 his, of his hands. You're a work of art uh, being formed and being made more and more like Jesus every day. Yeah, so, you know, um, in the, and Jesus prayed, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I think, again, our major temptations are not what we think they are. You might think your major temptation is to avoid um, drinking, smoking, carrying on lustful thoughts, whatever. Our major, major temptations are to pick it up and do it ourselves, to create in ourselves an idol. We're the, we're, we've, it's up to me. Up to me is a lie. It's a, Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. So if the people around you, the things you're reading, listening to, the things, the persons, the, the situations that you're looking to for guidance, spiritual guidance, are creating in you um, a sense of uh, worry, b- bitterness, fear, uh, restlessness, um, agitation, striving, stress, or distress, you're not, the fruit of that's not the fruit that you're looking for. You're looking for the rest and the peace. You say, well, everybody's going to be too lazy then. No, Jesus didn't say, be lazy. As a matter of fact, I'm sure that the disciples were anything but lazy, very well conditioned doing all that walking and things. But he said, um, he didn't say, okay, guys, be good. I want you to be good. It's all about being good. You're going to have to get back to the law, get back to the commandments. Um, And by the way, all the law is fulfilled in a new commandment. Anyway, uh, in the old law, they, they couldn't, the law could, had it, it prescribed certain behaviors and activities, but it could not demand of them a right attitude. They they couldn't they weren't forced to love or be kind. They were just forced to refrain from killing. Now the new commandment Jesus says I give you is to love one another um, and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Simply put, the law really is reduced down to the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. But that's freaky scared because what if I give too much? I mean, I think a lot of marriages, for example, they're in this bitter, you know, headlock 
because no one wants to give in first because they're terrified that if they do, the other person is going to trample them and take everything. If I give them an inch, they'll take a mile. I've got to hold my ground. I've got to draw my lines and set my boundaries and, and, and you know, put up my defenses and, and rear my ha- head and, and make sure. And how's that ever going to work? I mean, how's that ever going to work if one of you is coercing the other and that's all both of you are doing is coercing one another? I think that fits for a couple of people who might be going to be listening to this. But, you know, the thing is to rest in God that he will work it out that whether or not they try to take advantage of you, God is watching. God knows it all. Whether or not they're accusing you, um, can't defend yourself. Um, God knows the truth. God is watching. And if you can rest in the fact that God is God knows the truth, then you can forgive them and not have to be the judge because you know that God is the judge. He'll recite all. He knows it all. You don't have to, you know, uh, get all up in a, you know, worried about it because God is going to make everything right and fair. So. Yeah, and and uh, we don't have to be hounded by endless lists of do's and don'ts. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's. Let's start out with this little topic here. What is God's will in the gray areas? I was reading. Oh, go ahead. Now, listen. What about now gray areas? Now, this this might stir up some folks here because, uh, you know, there isn't there such a thing as absolute truth. Now, a lot of people do not believe in absolute truth anymore, but as 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 Christians, we do believe in absolute truth that things are either black or white. But what? where does this gray area for Christians come in here? Is this compromise? Is this uh, loose living? What's going on here? All right. Wait a minute. What happened to the rainbow? <laughs> I mean, there's this, the truth, light is comprised of many colors. Absence of color would be black, and all the colors put together is white or light. Um, but... But when you have the gray areas, we're not talking, we're talking, there are certain things in the Bible that are not specifically defined as right or wrong. Now, for, let's go back and start from the beginning. God gave them the, the Ten Commandments, and they were given the basic, we know the basic principles of right behavior. They're given to us in the law, and the law has now been uh, transformed and put into our hearts, written in our hearts, uh, and, and, um, and, uh, ex- executed uh, through the listening and obedience to the Holy Spirit. So the law is, is kind of like in our consciences. We already know basically the basics of right and wrong, unless, of course, we were culturally trained to believe a lie right from the beginning. So we have the law, the right behavior in our hearts. Now, truth is an absolute, but truth has two sides, like a, like a coin. It has, it has many dimensions that all come together to agree within itself to create the true uh, you know, dimensions of truth. Truth is, 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 you know, a lot of times people, they say, well, are, is it this or is it that? And, you know, whenever you're trying to answer a question, is it this or is it that, black or white, you will always paint yourself in a corner because there's always going to be in a situation where it's not that, whether you have to, you know, okay, it's, we want it all to be white and black and very clear, but it's not all very, for example, I'll give you an example of the Bible. Um, you know, the Bible says, um, in some places it says, um, go the second mile. Jesus said, go the second mile. Turn the other cheek. Give them your coat. If they take your coat, give them your cloak. You know, just give it to them. And, and then in, in other places it says, if they refuse you, um, shake the dust off and don't even eat with them. You know, if they refuse the gospel, just leave. 
you know, so, but what, well, okay, so how many of you have loved ones out there? You've been going the second mile and going the third mile and you're on the 24th mile and, and there still doesn't seem to be a lot of change and you're wondering now, well, should I do tough love now? Um, should I keep doing this? Um, first of all, you need to understand in this place where you're working with your loved one, child or husband or wife, that a lot of this, this battle that you're up against, a lot of what you're seeing, the behavior you're seeing them exhibit towards you and maybe you towards them too, is demon-inspired. It's demonic. It's demons who are yelling back at you and throwing fits and getting freaked out. And, and But, you know, inside there's a person who is, is being held hostage, who's being controlled, who's being influenced, who's being bound by an agreement. And the enemy is using that opportunity to act out through the person. Now you say, well, that person needs to take responsibility. Well, the responsibility you need to take is to repent and ask God in his faithfulness to deliver you from that thing. And that's called, that's called sanctification. That's that process we've been talking about. So, um, so black and white is nice, but there, life, if life were just black and white, it would be awful, wouldn't it? I mean, well, I, I, I meet a lot of people and uh, a lot of uh, young adults that are, are of the philosophy that, you know, the truth is whatever is true for you. You know, uh, I, I establish my own truth. You have your truth, I have my truth, and maybe we can tolerate each other, that sort of thing. How do we deal with that when we're dealing well, with this area, what we call the well, gray areas? Well, first of all, if you have your truth and I have my truth, it's be, it'd be like three or four, two or three contractors showing up on the job site. And one's got a tape measure that has um, four inches to a foot, and the other one has 12 inches to a foot, and the other one has six inches to a foot. Now, they're all going to measure for the same house, the same walls, try to get it all tight and, you know, things coming together. But if you have different standards of truth, different yardsticks, different ways you measure, calculate, um, that house is not going to be sturdy or solid, and it's going to be, uh, I would say, a very poorly constructed house. You have to have some agreements, but the word of God is truth. Jesus actually doesn't say truth is a doctrine or a set of beliefs or a sect or a cult or a church. Jesus said, I am the truth. He is the truth. The truth is not an ideology or an ism. The truth is a person, and the person is the Son of God, the word of God, through which the whole everything consists, holds, is held together by his truth. Now, what we understand here in doing and wanting to know the will of God, we really need to understand God. We understand, need to understand what his will is, how it works, how we're involved in this um, life journey with him, his spirit working in and through us. So as we, we're starting to talk about, you know, the basic principles of right and wrong given through the word of God, the Ten Commandments, um, the Old Testament they had certain ways of figuring things out. Now, do you know about the, that thing called the Urim and the Thummim, Jerry? You know, this, well, tell me about that. What is that? That's kind of a, what is rocks or something? Or pebbles or something? Yeah, a black was, one and a white it, one? It was something? something where it was, it's kind of like there were some jewels and they had, you know, there were jewels in the breastplate of the high priest. And uh, there was uh, the Urim and the Thummim. I, uh, I would have to probably look to find a little more detail on that. But it was kind of a, a way of consulting. God was allowing them to, if they wanted to know the will of God about a certain matter, they could consult that, and there was going to be an answer that would come uh, through that uh, cast, indicator. So they cast these stones down, and however they de- determined which one was indicated, they threw the two stones down, and one was for a yes and one was for a no. 
or something like that. And then you notice in the in the book of Acts when they were trying to replace the twelfth twelfth disciple or replace him, yeah. So what did they do? They cast lots. They prayed, of course, asked the Holy Spirit to be in the casting of the lots, and then they cast lots. And that's how they figured it out. And I, you know, there's a proverb that says that that um, how does that go? The the Lord is in the the lot. The, the determination mm-hmm. of the of the dice is his. So you can, I suppose, you could cast lots for your life and see. Well, yeah, should I buy the pink car or the blue car? If you, if you want to do it that way, but I think God has a better way for us. Although those were kind of primitive ways that people would to try to determine the will of God, and God actually was okay with it. You know, in the in the occultic world, what they do is they read signs in the stars, they read tea leaves, they read entrails, they read, what else they say they read? They read stuff. They're trying, everybody's trying to figure out through the uh, omens or through the entrails what is the will of the gods. Now, the problem with all that is, number one is, those gods, behind those gods are demons, and the demons can manipulate the readings the consulting, the crystal ball, he can manipulate that so that it looks like, whoa, they really got, you know, they really know what's going on here or they can really deceive the people who are bought in, buying into this whole thing. Like the crystal ball, for example. You know, the devil knows some things. For those of you who've been to psychics, the devil knows some things. He does. He doesn't know everything like God. But I think he's read the back of the book. I think he's a little antsy about that. Um he knows a lot about you and I because he's already, you know, studied our generations for hundreds of years. You know, he, he knows more about you than you do, actually. Not as much as God, but more than you. And he, so he knows what freaks you out. He knows what he set you up. He knows what he's put in your mind to believe and, and how, what kind of things trouble and torment you, what kind of specific fears. So when you go to a fortune teller or a, a, a psychic reading, what happens is the enemy, the demons, are whispering in the ear of that person, that medium, and telling them what to tell you. They're just like kind of available. They're in a trance. They're, they're not, you know, they don't have any special gifts except that they're submitted to this spirit. The spirit begins to tell them about you and freak out, and, and you get the idea, oh, man, they really know what they're talking about. Oh, man, you know. So then when they start to pro- uh, uh, prophesy or uh, uh, prognosis of the next things that are going to happen to you, we believe it, you know, and you're going to marry so-and-so, and in three days you're going to have a car accident, you're going to da-da-da-da. Well, the only way that happens, the only way that re- really can come to pass is if you agree to it, and you've just agreed to it because you didn't disagree with it, because you didn't say, well, that's a bunch of hogwash, you know. And the same thing kind of, you know, when we go to the, the doctors for diagnosis, and, and you, know, they're, you know, because of their practice and because of their legal, you know, considerations and whatnot, they always have to give you the worst possible case scenarios sometimes, and and, you know, they, they say things over us that are horrible. And if we don't disagree with it, it becomes an agreement. So if they say you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 12 and, and you're never going to walk again or that those are the possibilities and they don't mean to curse you, I'm not saying they're meaning to curse you. But you need to re- recognize that, number one, first of all, you, you, going to psychics is not the way to find out the will of anything. It's the way to get set up, come under the devil's influences and get in real big trouble. And, you know, going to the doctor, we go there in, in good faith. These people have um, understanding about matters that we don't. But if they're saying something to you, you don't have to accept it just because they're saying it. They're not God. God does have the final word in your life if you let him. And so, um, so anyway, finding out the will of God, many, this has been an age-old art. It's called um, mediums and, and um, you know, spiritists and all kinds of people always seeking the will of God. But most of the time what they're tapping into is the will of a demon 
who is you know acting like a god or pretending to be a god to them an idol or whatnot does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah i mean the 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 will of god for us is really given in the, given to us in the scriptures now there's all kinds of you know principles of interpreting the scriptures not just trying to figure them out but you you, you know you have to take everything in context this is old covenant new covenant it's not really very complicated but it's just if you look at the scriptures, that's our primary uh, basis of, of guidance. Well, you, you know, the scriptures, the, the word of God is the will of God, and Jesus is the best example of all that. You know, he said, I come to do your will, O God. And um, he sought the will of God. He spent time praying, which is, another, which is a wonderful way to seek the will of God, um, through the word of God, through just through the spirit of God, just being quiet, going to the place that gives you peace, the place of knowing that you know what you know, knowing that you know what to do. And even when we don't know what to do, I think we've been there a couple of times, I know for sure. We we just bottom line it by saying, you know what, God, we want to do your will. We're here to do your will. We don't know. It's a little bit doubtful yet what it is. I mean, it could go this way, it could go that way. But we want you to know, Lord, that we want to do your will and and we 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 trust that the, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. And so whatever the outcome is, God, we are trusting that you will not allow us to be deceived, that we're looking to you to lead us into all truth. And it says um, that, God, when we refuse the love of the truth in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, God will give them a strong delusion that they believe a lie. So before, and, and by the way, God gives it by permitting it. He permits the enemy to come in and lie to us because we've, we've hardened our heart to the truth. So he has no options but to let the devil have it because we've already chosen to listen to the lie and believe the liar. So God's got to give it to the liar. Give us to the liar. Many years ago when we were uh, brand new believers, this, these scriptures from uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 uh, became really, uh, and to this day, are really the principles that really guide uh, Margie and I in our decisions and just everything about us where it says trust in the lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths or he will make your paths straight so it's not um, it's trusting not just depending on figuring it out using human understanding now god gives us understanding but we're not depending on our own reasoning power to figure this out because sometimes, you know, God's ways are past finding out. They're beyond our understanding. He's got a plan that a lot of times we don't know. That's why we live by faith. We trust God. And God's plan for everybody's life might not exactly be the same. I mean, you know, sometimes he will send us to the physicians and sometimes he says, don't go to the physicians. Sometimes he, whatever, you know, there are different plans for different people's lives. So you can't base your decisions on what happens to other people and what doesn't happen. But going back to the Bible for just a minute, and then we'll go into some specifics. And I hope you call in because we really, um, this radio show is meant for you to, to help you help us to help each other to get this figured out, to know what, to, what God wants us to do. In Romans 15, Paul is ta- 14, I'm sorry. He's talking about, you know, some people felt like they had to worship on a certain day. That was specifically probably for the Jews. They had to have the certain day they worshiped on they had to have certain things there for the worship. They, they had to, there were certain things they could eat and certain things they couldn't, couldn't eat. And he said, um, you know, some of you eat and some refrain from eating. Some of you worship on a certain day, some don't. Um, and, and, you know, the story of Peter with the sheet, he had been kosher all his life. And, and then when he was starting to work with the, the Gentiles, 
he got this vision of this um, sheet being lowered with the unclean animals. And in the Old Testament, certain animals were called unclean and they were not supposed to eat them. Well, now it seems like these animals are in the sheet and, got, and, the, and the voices kill and eat. Peter, you can eat this stuff now. So this vision came three times and, I get, and Peter got it. It was like, okay, God, we have to open the door up to this, the, the Gentiles. We have to, you know, there's a new dispensation now. It's not law anymore. It's grace. And so even now that we want to kind of lay our belief systems, our particular belief systems that are neither here nor there, onto other believers. Now, I know, for example, that when I was first saved, I got by with doing more things that I would consider now that I wouldn't do. But back then, you're a young believer, a new believer. You don't know all that stuff. You're not yet convicted by the Holy Spirit. So you just kind of go with it until until the Holy Spirit deals with it. And, you know, that's that's where you're at. Um, and, and the Holy Spirit's got it under control. You're his workmanship. As you keep following, Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say be good. He said, follow me, and I will perfect that which concerns you. We're so busy trying to be perfect, trying to keep the law, trying not to sin. Your life becomes all about getting rid of your sin, and that's the whole problem. Life is not to be about getting rid of our sin. We're dead, and we're risen with Christ, and our life is now about the sun, not the sin. If your life is all about you being good, getting rid of sin, your life's all about you. It's all about you. It's all up to you. If your life is about Jesus and the revelation of Jesus Christ, then you can rest. Your life's all about him. And you are now his problem. You're his problem. And that's great. I am his problem. I don't have to have the problem. I don't have to carry the burden of my own problem, my own self. I am I'm the problem. The Lord, the Lord carries me because I am his problem. So, what Paul was trying to say was, you know, like I got a, a blog out there, by the way, if you want to look at it. It's called, um, on the website, liferecovery.com, www.liferecovery.com. It's probably where some of you are right now listening to us. But anyway, there's a, there's a blog there called To Christmas or Not to Christmas. And in this blog that I wrote last December-ish, it's like, okay, do we put up a Christmas tree or don't we put up a Christmas tree? Do we celebrate it or don't we celebrate it? Um, the resurrection is coming up. We're almost, you know, some will call it Easter. Some say, oh, you can't say it's Easter. That's a pagan word. That's a pagan. Yeah, it is pagan. It's for Eshtar, the, the, one of the goddesses of Egypt or somewhere. Who knows where? Who cares where? Anyway, and they've taken, you know, for everything that God has, Satan has created a, a delightful counterfeit. So now he's tur- turned the resurrection, the cross, the crucifixion, all of this wonderful stuff that we rejoice in, he's turned into bunny rabbits and Easter eggs. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And how many Christians are all you know, filled with busyness trying to color eggs? And, and what, what, you know what? I'm not saying coloring eggs are going to take you to hell. I'm not a legalist. That's not the problem. The problem is I don't care if you color eggs. That's fine. If you want to color eggs, color eggs. But, you know, don't forget that true meaning of this stuff is that if you've got the real, why do you want the counterfeit? If you've got the genuine, why are you going to be happy with the fake? I mean, it's like, unfortunately, though, you know, we have real strawberries and we have imitation strawberries. And a lot of people are so warped out in their taste buds and what they, that they actually like the taste of imitation, sugared up, pesticided uh, junk instead of the real thing. And I think this this is the case with we're not satisfied with Jesus, so we have to go off and, and join in the pagan rituals and, and equinoxes and celebrations. But, you know, just because the pagans are having one, that doesn't mean I can't celebrate mine. And, you know, just because, you know, 
Just because they're counterfeiting $20 bills out there doesn't mean I'm going to burn all my $20 bills and never use them again. Good grief. I mean, if there wasn't a real, need, there would be no counterfeit because the counterfeiters would never counterfeit a $3 bill because there's no such thing. So they're only going to counterfeit what's real. So if there's things that are important to God, like his feast days, like his, 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 his truth, the devil is going to set up a whole set of religion and worship and traditions and music um, that are counter to God's, you know, counterculture, counter to God's glorious ways. Another thing too is that Marty said about you know the difference between real real strawberries and uh, artificial strawberry flavoring. Uh, we have a lot of times in, in, in through what's happened is that people have have tasted. The Bible says in, in Psalms it says taste and see that the Lord is good, and a lot of people have tasted. Of of religion, uh, of 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 traditions, of uh, of mixtures of things, they've tasted the artificial, they've tasted uh, the Bible as it's been processed through different kinds of doctrinal statements and men's ideas and and church traditions and certain traditions are fine, certain churches are not fine, but that we have made. Really, the the gospel. Paul talked to one of the Galatian church. Said you you've perverted the gospel. He says if anybody perverts this gospel, they should be accursed. Yeah. And he said it again just to make sure they got it. He says anybody gives you another gospel other than the one that we've given you, let them be accursed. Because so so it's been it's been doctored up. We've we've it's been theologized. Uh, many times pastors, you know, or people that are, you know, that are pastors now have gone through seminary training, Bible school training, and they get, now a lot of that is really, really good, very helpful. A lot of it is that you, you, the Word of God gets uh, processed, so, so they're looking at it with, with theological glasses, with uh, instead of really looking at it, take the theological glasses out and look at, look at the Bible. When you read the Bible, just look at it for what it says. And you mentioned, Margie, that um, years ago when you when you grew up in your particular church uh, situation, is that you start reading the Bible and you said, "Oh man, <laughs> this ha- this this has nothing to do. This is not the way my church is." And so you dismissed the Bible because this, this this Bible can't be right because the the church that I'm part of. Uh, is so contrary to what I'm reading here in the scriptures. And the church I'm part of, of course, is perfectly right. Of course, I was 10 years old, so what did I know? But you know, the thing is that that puts a bad taste in people's mouth when you keep mixing. See, people are smart enough to know. And that's why a lot of people don't go to church. They, they, they're, they're burnt out on this stuff. They say, this is garbage. This is a mixture. This is not real genuine. If we had the real gospel being preached out there, you'd have the same results Jesus had. You'd have people following you. You'd have miracles. You'd have... Um, you know, people getting saved, healed, you know, if we need to feed them, we'll feed them. There'd be the, the, because it was the power that was of the love, the grace and the non-condemnation. They were not being condemned every time they turned around. Jesus had, he, he hung out with the sinners. He ate with them. He invited the, himself over to their houses. I mean, it was like, it got him in trouble. I mean, and, and the same with Paul, you know, Paul was in trouble because he refused to keep all of the old traditions. Um, and, and they just couldn't handle it. But then Paul kind of said, you know, whether you're going to worship on this day or that day or eat this or not eat that, he says, I want you to know, don't let the, the stronger brothers and sisters put
put a stumbling block in front of the weaker ones. Now, so the will of God here in these kind of iffy, dicey situations is, number one, for the one who is stronger, not to put a a stumbling block or a a place of offense in his brother's way. Um, Not to judge a weaker brother. Well, you know, you you don't need to do it that way. I mean, you can, you know, you can get kind of self-righteous pretty quickly by starting to judge your brother's behavior. Maybe God told him to do that. Maybe God is pleased with him doing that for now. Maybe that's something he will, um, you know, God will show him later. Not to offend the brother um, with your own actions or be offended by theirs. Now, um, quandary, I think this is where the truth is not black and white exactly because, you know, some places we're told in Isaiah, for example, um, that we're not to fear man, you know, fear of man, man fear. Um, We're not supposed to do that because we're supposed to fear God because God is the creator and in him is all the power. Um, But so we're not to fear men. But on the other hand, like Paul says, he became all things to all men that he might by all means win some. Doesn't that kind of sound contradictory? You know, like I can, I I do what they want, please them. Now now I'm being a hypocrite because, well, that's the devil's argument. You're being a hypocrite because you're not being true to yourself. So, you know, you know, yeah, maybe you're, you're, but you know, you're, you're letting them get by with that. And you really need to be hard and strict and judge them and tell them and, and make sure that you correct them. And, and well, you know what? That's the job of the Holy Spirit to correct, to lead, to convict, to uh, lead us into all um, truth. But going back to this place where it's contradictory or it seems impossible to to make the Bible, make truth, satisfy truth, make it happy, when we're trying not to fear men, but at the same time we become all things to all men. So what's happening here is that though it sounds contradictory, it's not impossible to do under one circumstance. And that is this. You know, Jesus knew who he was. Paul knew who he was. Paul was secure in who he was. Jesus is secure in who he was. And because he was secure, and they were secure in the grace of God and in the love of God, and they knew that their salvation was not based in their own works but in or in keeping the law, but in, in their relationship with God, they were able to be okay, you know, being all things to all men without losing their identity. It's the same thing like with Jesus you know, he was he he submitted himself to the cross, the humiliation, the shame, the the torture, the abuse of the cross, and yet we never consider him uh, a victim of abuse. I mean, yes, he was, but he never acted like a victim. He never had us feel sorry for him. He never played the martyr. He never um, got angry and upset because Jesus knew who he was. He knew why this was happening. He knew all about it. He knew where he was from. He knew this was going to happen. He knew why it was happening. He knew who he was. And he was not offended by them because he never took anything personally because nothing was about him. And if you get to that place of freedom in your life where it's not about you, it's not about you. If they don't like you, it's not about you. It's not because they don't like you, Jesus says, because they rejected me. And you're not going to go out there and try to be nasty and, and, and um, you know offensive to people. I mean, just being followers of Christ is going to be offense to, enough to get us in trouble that we don't even try to get in, you know, persecuted for righteousness' sake. So, you want to say something? Yeah, uh, you know, that scripture, in case you're wondering where that is, about Paul being all things to all men, uh, 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 23, he says, I've become all things to all men, that by all means I may save some. So he uh, 
basically he was not compromising the truth. He was adapting the truth to his hearers. So he, uh, when he was speaking with Jews, he understood their mindset, their way of thinking. So he approached them with the truth a little differently. When he's dealing with the Gentiles in Corinth that are, that are living in you know, a lot of gross sin, or with, when he's dealing with the, the intellectuals, uh, the philosophers in, in Athens, he's, he's taking a different approach. And, and if you notice, Jesus, every person, he didn't, he, he didn't have a, a cookie-cutter approach. He always brought the truth, but he always dealt with everybody a little differently according to their need. And so really, you know, when I'm you know, sharing the gospel with people, uh, someone that's really heavily into the New Age uh, movement, uh, a 22-year-old person, for example, I'm going to approach them a little differently than someone, than the, the 80-year-old farmer that's uh, down the road from us, or uh, someone who is um, of a of a different uh, uh, religion, uh, an Islamic person, for example. I'm going to approach them a little differently. It's a, it's not a matter of compromising truth. It's a matter of adapting the message and being able to relate to that that truth to that person in a way that they can grasp and understand. That's how Jesus did it. Yeah, without compromising yourself. You know, it's like when we go to the New Age festivals, we dress like they do. Well, not quite like they do. We, we put on our beads and we put on our dangles and bangles and, and dress with our tie-dye stuff. You know, you know we're, we're there to meet with them and, and without losing yourself. So you, you know, I, be think, I become all things to all men that I might by all means win some, but I don't lose myself in the process. That's the, the secret of all. Hey, but it's already 8 o'clock here in Minnesota. I don't know what time it is where you're listening, but it is time for some commercials and it is time to hear from you. So I'm going to give you the phone number and then you can find your phone while you're listening to the commercials and we'll be back in a few minutes. Here's the, here's the number, 347 215-8051. Talk to you in a few minutes. Listen up. What is life? Where does it come from? Where does it end? Is it merely a sequence of random events thrown together? Is it of any significance? Or is it just there, a dash between two dates carved on a cemetery stone? Does it count? Does it last? What's it worth? Does it matter? Is evolution a plausible explanation for the existence of man? Does the Genesis record give us an accurate account of the origin of man? Or are there other valid arguments that can explain the origin of human life? Were we planned from the foundation of the world, or were we an accident, an amoeba emerging out of primordial slime? And what is the ultimate significance of a life born by accident or of no one being there? If we are nothing but the result of random chance and fortunate mutations to the nth power, who cares? And if we are of no significance in our birth, then life is of little value and to die is the same as to live.
Life Recovery offers a wide variety of books, teaching manuals, CDs, and DVDs, all designed to expose Satan's lies and equip believers with the powerful weapons of spiritual warfare. Hey, we're back, you know, and um, the second hour, we really want to hear from you. This is your great opportunity to bring your dilemmas to to uh, the, the show and uh, see what, you know, we'll talk about it, see what we can come up with for you and, and in your process of processing out what's the will of God for you in a specific situation. Um, you know, there are real dilemmas in this world. I mean, real situations where they just seem to be like there is no answer or or we don't know what God's will is, or where is God in the situation. So it's not like we're just making this out to be, well, you should have figured this out by now. We're just like here to help you. Like I had an email a couple, I actually got it in January, and I just found it yesterday. Okay, so don't email me. (laughs) You want to talk to me? (laughs) Call my office phone. We'll we'll get back to you. But anyway, um, no, seriously, you can email me. It'd be mcole, C-O-L-E, at liferecovery.com, or Jerry, what's yours to get to, to you? Uh, Jerry Cole at uh, yahoo.com. It's J A R R Y C O L E at yahoo.com. So, anyway, this gal was needing to um, discern the will of God and wanted to know what his will was in regard to a surgery that she was looking, facing, and, um, you know, if she should go under the knife, so to speak, if it was the will of God. I mean, obviously, the doctor in her particular case had said that this is kind of imperative to your health and it needs to be done and yet I know some people you know some sects some groups you know they don't even let you get a blood transfusion and that's you know and they're very opposed to medical procedures and so that was her question what's the will of God how do I know the will of God and I think that's a kind of a specific question that have to do with a lot of times when we have to determine the proper use of something, whether it's, um, you know, using the medical system or technology or um, religious practices um, to determine what is the Holy Spirit wanting us to do? You know, what are we supposed to be doing in this particular case? Um, Because we want to do the will of God, and that's great. You know, it's kind of interesting. We're so worried about not doing the will of God. But if you want to do the will of God, you're over over 99% there, just by wanting to do the will of God, because if you and God both want you to do the will of God, you know, and you're voted against the devil already who doesn't want you to do the will of God, you and God are a majority, so you leave the rest up to God and he will cause you to do the right thing and then the, the burden uh, and, the, and the blame can go to him and not you because the devil is going to try to make us get doubtful. She felt doubtful, confused, and thinking, you know, is this confusion... Is this indication, is this doubt an indication that I'm out of the will of God? Well, I think a lot of times doubt and confusion come in when you're going to step out into the will of God as well because they want you to, to hinder, be hindered or halt, halting in the way and being not sure, not certain. And um, so doubt and confusion are not necessarily indications that you're out of the will of God. However, I do say, you know, kind of a little cliche I made up is that, when in doubt, stay out. You know, wait until you know. I think a lot of times people jump ahead and make a decision before they have real, really all the information or they make the decision too quickly um, before they really need to. And if you wait, God is a pretty much a last-minute God. So sometimes he doesn't give you the information you need until probably the last second. And sometimes people get very, uh, can we get very dishonest about this too, is that sometimes people 
I've I've heard um, over the years people say, well, you know, I prayed about it, mm-hmm. and and they they say, well, I'm gonna do what I want to do, and it's okay for me to do what I want to do because I prayed about it. Well, when people say I prayed about it, I said, well, what did the Lord say to you about it? What's the answer? And so it, it's important that you if you there's a real honesty in a sense you have to put your you have to kind of put your shift your life into neutral, and say, Lord, uh, okay, yeah, will what you know, I want your will. I, I just I know what I'd like to do here, but I'm just going to back off on that because I want your will. And and what God is working in us, we talked about this. It's God working in us to will and to do of His good pleasure. In other words, He's giving us the willingness to do His will, and He's giving us the ability to do it. Uh, when it's time to uh, launch us into it. So um, that's... Well, I'd like to say something about that too, you know. Um, back to what you are saying about God's will and wanting to do it and waiting. And of course, there are some times when our will crosses God's will and we choose to do his will like Jesus going into the garden. And he was submitted to the will of the Father no matter what. Um, and he knew what the will of the Father was when he was in the garden. He was just asking the Father to confirm this plan that they had come up with and that there hadn't been a a change of plans or another option that they had found. So he submitted to the cross. He was willing to do it. He did it. He was a man of his word, integrity all the way through. Uh, But sometimes, you know, we're afraid that it's, if I want to do it, if it feels good inside of me, if it, if it's, I mean, not going with necessarily the feelings, but just that, that whole kind of sense of, Boy, I really I love to do this kind of work. Oh man, this is just my favorite. I just and and because it's so uh, so appealing, we think it couldn't possibly be God's will. We we we're kind of indoctrinated with the law of legalism to think that oh you know God doesn't want me to have any joy. He didn't put any aptitudes or ambitions or desires or gifts in my heart. I have to live in this meager grind it out, kind of white knuckle my way through life. And that is so wrong. I mean, if God, God's the one who built you. He's the one who gave you the desire to be an artist or be a musician or, you know, uh, drive a truck. He is the one who put that in there in the first place. So don't think it's your idea and now it wouldn't be God's. God is the one who came up with it and that's why you like it because it's you, because he made it to be you. And so God is not going to create you and then set you in conflict with yourself. That's what the devil does. God does not create you to be in, in opposition to yourself. That's what the enemy does. He comes to set us up in opposition to ourselves. That's Second Timothy chapter two, verse twenty-four, five, and six in the Old King James. It says he sets us up in opposition to ourselves. Now, so here's the deal. So you know, people can't go by feelings. Well, I really want to do this, therefore it can't be God, or um, or it's, it's got to be morbid. It's got to be you know pious it's got to be horrible jesus had look at his life he was dedicated he was genuine he was real he was a man uh, acquainted with grief and sorrow but at the same time he had joy more than his fellows he was just right there with life always just knew who he was knew what he was supposed to be doing knew where he was from and he was really into life he didn't fake it he didn't you know pretend he was just genuine well, God, you know, has wired us. I mean, every human being on earth is unique. And uh, he has wired you with certain gifts, abilities, tendencies of personality that even though there are some maybe some negative parts to that, 
that he's just kind of working out of you, but he's working his character into you. So, so he wants you to be who he made you to be and who he's making you to be. All right? So he's, he's, he's doing that good work and trust him to do that work. So, so anyway, some people have a, just this real, you know, aptitude for music and aptitude in, you know, very athletically, or they have a very scientific mind. They're very analytical. But they love to ride motorcycles. Yeah. And, and God, God, you know, gets us into that area. He's, he's made us the way we are that we might fulfill the purpose that he has for us. Now, sometimes, however, he puts us into things that we think that I don't think I could ever do that. Um, and I just think of uh, the, pro- the Old Testament prophet Amos. He, he was basically a farmer. He had livestock, and he was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He had an orchard and, and herds, and, and uh, God spoke to him and, and said, you know, I want you to go and prophesy to my, uh, instead of just calling the sheep and the cattle and, and, and gathering the fruit, uh, there was a change. God launched him in, and through his work that he was doing, I know, God was preparing him for this, but he was launching him into a whole new venture. And that's very, it can be very frightening, but it's, it's, it's very um, uh, wonderful as well when God does that. And that's where we just need to, we need to keep ourselves steady and say, okay, Lord, here I go. Uh, show me here. I just really need you to guide me in this because this is something so new to me. Well, that's why it's so individualized because, you know, um, you know, like God is preparing you all of your life not to continue to walk in this place of uh, it is what it is and it's never going to change, but God is really preparing us to people to be mighty in spirit. And um, going back to the idea of, well, the devil's going to try to stop you no matter how he can, no matter what argument he can use, whether it's a religious argument or reasoning or um, it's your responsibility or, or law, legalism, He's going to, especially if he knows that you're really, you know, could do some damage to his kingdom, he's going to do everything he can to stop you. And that's where you cry out to the Lord and just say, thy will be done, O God. But, you know, whether you're being prepared to do something you're not quali- you're not feeling very qualified to do, um, God has qualified you, whether or not you realize it. And so then it's not about you. It's not going to be you that gets the glory. God uses the foolish things and the things that are not to bring to not the things that are. So... Uh, when God sent, um, you know, shepherds to, to testify to the coming of the of the baby Jesus, and, and when God, um, uh, you know, sent that little Mary, that little young teenager, to be the mother of the Son of God, I'm sure she didn't feel very qualified, and Joseph to be his protector. So you see, the thing is, but they were not about themselves; they were totally what we would call servants willing to give up their life to do the will of God and the kingdom of God, the purposes of God in this world. And, and you know, going back to the idea of, of having to be perfect, God is, you know, really, I mean, God did some pretty wild and crazy things. He's not real black and white. He's, you know, you know he let things, um, and of course, to understand God is pure. God is complete. He is the spectrum. We're not saying God is, is, you know, has to be black and white. That's, I, I think that's a, a construct that the devil puts on us to make us feel baffled and confused. There's only one will of God, and it's in the midst of walking in his spirit and obedience to him. And in Titus, he says here, whatever you do, um, in all things, show yourself to be a, a pattern of good works. 
in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Um, that one who is in opposition or an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say about you. I think that's the bottom line will of God. The servants are to obey their masters. But bottom line, we're to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Whatever it is he's calling you to do, will that bring glory to Jesus? The other thing to look at when you're starting out on the journey, the check your motives and look at, am I doing this because I'm afraid or because this is what the Lord is, because of faith? Am I doing this out of fear or faith? Now, you say, well, I'm, I'm going to do this surgery because I'm afraid. Well, you're maybe afraid that you're going to, you know, you, you need to have it. But you also could be doing the same thing out of obedience. The Lord may be leading you, even though you may be tormented, tempted to be afraid. Because the Bible says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in him. Many of the great men of God and women of God did a lot of things, you know, tormented by a spirit of fear or inadequacy, as, as Jerry's talking about. And yet they went out and did it because they knew their God. And it says those that know their God in the last days are going to do exploits. And I really believe that in these days we are so near, if not in the last days, that we cannot be just mediocre, milk toast, um, everyday, uh, you know, get by, just kind of get by kind of Christians. We're going to have to be the men and women, the mighty warriors, the men and women of God, and women and men of God who do excellence in the name of their God. So, um, and again, not being all tripped up by, to, to, he says in Titus, he says, to the, to the pure, all things are pure. Now, to the unbelieving, you know, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. So the thing is, it really comes down to not just what you're doing, but who you are that's doing it. You know, if, if it's pure to you, uh, to the pure, all things are pure. But to, to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their minds and consciences are defiled. Um, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. This is Titus chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. So, you know, there's there's many things out there that can be used for good or evil. You know, um, the television set can be used for good or evil. Um, technology can be used for good or evil. Uh, so it's really, you know, who are you? And what does God want you to do? And does it bring you peace? Does it bring glory to God? Will this bring glory to God? That's how we begin to understand what God's will is. Yeah, and we have to look too. You know, is this is this uh, in anything like? Well, what should I do? You know, we have to look and look at it. Is it really beneficial to me as a believer, um, spiritually, mentally, physically? Can I do it with fullness of faith? Can I, you know, can I can I do it with peace? And, and uh, is this something that's going to bring me into uh, bondage? Is it? Marty has said, you know, is, is a bottom line is does it glorify God? It is. Is it a good use of my time and money? Is it? Will it dull my spirit or cause it, cause me to lose my edge in God? Uh, will it grieve the Holy Spirit? Will it build people up? Will it edify others? Does it seek their good? Uh, could it or could it cause other people to stumble if I do this? Take this course of action. And another thing, it's worth. Uh, is it worth imitating? First um, Corinthians eleven one, Paul said, uh, "Imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ." He doesn't say doing exactly what I'm doing as far as the terms of of ministry. You're called to a different ministry, but look at the way I follow Christ. I follow Him wholeheartedly. I follow Him dependently. Uh, I, there's a price to pay when I follow the Lord. There's 
there's misunderstanding, there's conflict and so forth. But just look at how I follow Christ and you do the same. And he said, the God of peace will be with you. Well, Paul had, there was a lot of controversy surrounding his life, but you know, I think um, God was totally happy with it. Um, You know, he said the point of, of the of the race is to keep the faith, not keep the law. He said, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And, righteousness. and so, you know, when we're really realizing that this is, maybe people will you make some judgments about you, but it's ultimately between you and the Father, you and God, you and Jesus, you and the Holy Spirit, as to what your life is. Now, when Paul was, you know, being persecuted, you know, a lot of people could have come by and said, um, and I think they probably did, that this was because he was in chains, because he had, you know, messed up, that he was out of the will of God. Well, talk about being out of the will of God. What about Jesus then, who was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? That's a total picture right there. Jesus was in the will of God, in the will of the Father, being led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness in, in Matthew and in, in Luke and, and Mark, the early parts of like chapter 4 of Matthew, I think, to be tempted by the devil. So you could have looked at Jesus and said, whoa, you took the wrong turn back there because if you'd have been walking in the will of God, you wouldn't be in this wilderness right now being so beat up by the devil. It's, you know, you're out of the will of God. So you can't determine being out of the will of God by your circumstances being difficult either. Because Paul, you know, he was in chains and they thought it was because because he had missed the will of God. Well, he says, I think it's in Philippians. I'll see if I can find it while you, you look up. You, you can talk, Jerry. <laughs> I need to look up a verse here. Okay, yeah. Well, you know, Jesus did always did those things that pleased the Father. And he was misunderstood. He was accused. They said he's, he's got demons. Um, he, he's, he's, um, he was born out of, he was an illegitimate child. There was all kinds of accusations and misunderstandings that, uh, Jesus experienced. And so, and, and Paul, the same, uh, we find, uh, Peter, the same at times. And really look through, you know, the Old Testament, uh, people as well, prophets, Jeremiah, Isaiah, uh, Amos, Daniel, uh, Joseph of the Old Testament, all of them were greatly misunderstood and uh, were, were, were persecuted and attacked in various ways. But yet they were, they were honoring God. And there were times where they didn't, you know, they felt like things were just kind of out of control. It's like, you know, Jeremiah says, here, I, okay, I, I say I'm going to serve you and every, you know, I'm preaching and, and nobody's listening to me. There, I, 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 I speak a hard word because you told me you, you've given, you're giving me what to speak, but they're not receiving it. They're coming after me. They're challenging me constantly. So it doesn't mean that, you know, in the will of God, it is, it's not like you're going out of your way looking for trouble, but uh, trouble will find you and follow you when you're in the will of God. But the grace of God, the strength of God, the peace of God will keep you and keep you moving forward uh, in integrity and courage, even though uh, there's a lot of opposition. Yeah, because this is a battle. In Philippians, um, you know, chapter 1, starting with verse 12, he says, For I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. 
And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Notice how he says the things that happened to me. He was in chains, in prison. He says it actually worked out for good. They've got other people more bold. And the people who were judging me, um, it became evident even to them that the, the, that the, 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 uh, the chains were in Christ. It was the will of God was being worked out through his um, uh, imprisonment. And so, again, you cannot look at the outcome you can't make the judgment in the middle of the decision or in the middle of the situation and det- determine anything. Outcomes don't determine anything because in Hebrews, um, well, they do determine some things. Let's not get totally generalized here. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it says some of the, um, the, some of the, um, the ones who had faith were delivered from the lion's dens and some of them were eaten by the lions. So you see the outcome was not the issue here. The issue of faith was whether they withstood, maintained, um, prevailed against the spirits of fear and unbelief and in their own souls while they were being tested. So the outcome is really the trying and the testing of our, of our faith. And sometimes our best opportunities to minister for Christ come at the times when we're going through adversity. great times of adversity. There's an old saying that says, adversity is God's university. And uh, But in the midst of even the greatest adversity, we have uh, some dear friends right now that have gone through, a, uh, one of the friends has gone through a long uh, illness and uh, in various uh, treatment centers and so forth. But even through, through all that um, suffering, they have had many opportunities, both of them, to share the love of Christ with uh, many, many uh, people uh, in, in the hospital, other patients and so forth. So in their in their pain in their difficulty, the um, they have uh, had so many so many opportunities and and, and borne good fruit to the Lord in the midst of the, even some of the most difficult things that they've faced. Yeah, and so the whole thing back back to the bottom line. The bottom line is to bring glory to Jesus in the whole thing. So if you have a question, if you have a situation, why don't you give us a call? Um, we're going to take a little break here in a minute, but. Again, the phone number is 347-215-8051. I think some of you have been chatting with us a little, following us on the chat. If you even want to just chat in a question, a topic for us to to talk about, that's great because we want this to be a help to you. It's 347-215-8051. Thanks. Hold on. We'll be right back. Extra, extra, read all about it. God's in trouble. You've just tuned in to EUL, Eternity Uplink, where you are getting all the -the up-to-the-minute information on the biggest news since the flood. The Court of Heaven has been called into a special session to resolve the dispute in the landmark trial between God and Satan. The shock has left the earth spinning. I heard that the battle is over the souls of the humans. The score was never really settled at Eden, and now it's erupted into this. Satan challenging God's right to rule the world. Can you believe it? First Eden, now Earth, where will it stop? Stay tuned for the latest developments as the story unfolds. Or download the latest episodes to your iPod. This is Angel Anchor. And court reporter for EUL. 
hey, that's a little uh, clip from our um, God on Trial um, audio drama series, and you can check that out on the store on the website. Um, God on Trial, it's, it's 12 30-minute episodes of the story of the war between God and Satan for the souls of men, www.liferecovery.com. Everything you pretty much need to know about us is there or at truelightchurchmn.org. Um, Jerry, you want to tell them a little bit about True Light Church, and then we can go on. We're kind of doing our commercial break here. Well, uh, True Light Church uh, it meets at uh, the Holiday Inn Express in Rogers, Minnesota, uh, 10 a.m. every Sunday. Uh, we are a very discipleship-oriented uh, group of, uh, who who love the Lord and want to make a difference and uh, share the gospel everywhere we can. Um, we we really focus on on prayer, on teaching, very relationship-oriented. Focus on, on, on teaching the Word of God. Uh, actually, this uh, coming Sunday morning at 10 a.m., uh, Reuben David is going to be our guest speaker. He's a uh, wonderful uh, brother in Christ from uh, India. He has uh, been teaching uh, apologetics uh, at a, uh, a university in the Twin Cities. Very much a man of God and really has some great insights into how to, how to share Christ in the midst of uh, a world where uh, many, many people just you know don't accept any absolute truth anymore and all the different uh, uh, aspects of, of new age thinking that's really affecting even many churches. So, so you're certainly welcome to join us every Sunday, uh, 10 a.m. till about, uh, about noon on um, Sundays at the Holiday Inn Express in Rogers, Minnesota. You know, back to the will of God and... Please, please, please call in. That'd be so awesome. But Paul says, um, you know, he says he commended his disciples for, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, he commended them for following, carefully following, he says, my doctrine, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me. And then he goes on to name the towns what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Continue in the things which you have learned and have been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, see, he's talking about being confident, knowing. He's talking about doctrine. I think one of the worst things that has happened to the church is the massacre that has happened because of doctrine. Doctrine has been equated with law, but doctrine is not law. Doctrine really is rightly dividing uh, or discerning the word of God and causing it to be properly understood. Doctrine includes the will of God, understanding the will of God, how it moves forward in the church and in the individual lives. Doctrine is applying God's will God's truth, God's power, God's spirit, allowing him to live his life through you, the Bible says, to live as Christ. So the doctrine is really the word of God. But when doctrine is incorrectly discerned or the word of God is inappropriately divided, not rightly divided, um, that is what has left the church in this bloody mess of defeat and discouragement. So Paul is saying, the will of God is to follow me. Now, you could say, Paul, you're pretty confident, pretty cocky, pretty arrogant. But Paul could say that because he said, you know what? I know who I am. I know who I love. 
I know it goes on in my life in the secret times when nobody else knows what's going on. I'm not trying to live a double life here. I, I'm, 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 I know who I am. And I know whom I have believed. And I know I am persuaded. And he knew that he knew that he knew. He didn't, oh, I wonder and I hope and I think. I mean, he was set. God told him at the beginning of his conversion he was going to suffer a lot of things and he was going to be sent to the Gentiles and God was going to deliver him from both the Jews and the Gentiles. So he had a little bit of a heads up on his life, which is nice, but maybe not because then you're kind of always anticipating all of that. But Paul um, was commending them because they were following good doctrine. Yeah, doctrine is, uh, you know, the thing is too, as we were talking about the, you know, the gray areas, and sometimes in, in, in Romans 14 and 15, the, Paul is discussing that whole area of uh, churches that were um, the ch- people that were in the church in Rome that were beginning to major on the minors, you know what to eat, what to wear, where to, you know where to go, what to, to do, Christmas. whether to celebrate Christmas, Easter, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and so, what we can do, and, and what's happened a lot historically with the church is that we've we've majored on the minors, on these little you know details. Yeah. Not the the major the major thing is that we don't offend weaker brothers. The major things are Romans fourteen seventeen. It says the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, who whoever does these things is pleasing to men and approved by God. So uh, those kinds of things. The main the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ. The main thing is uh, loving the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, our neighbor as ourself. The main thing is is going into all the world, uh, preaching the gospel, making disciples of all the nations. And then that whole area of, as I mentioned earlier here, uh, of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, the, the, the characteristics of Christ that are manifested through our lives. That's, that's the major thing. And, and you could sum it up with, you know, love, the, yeah. the love of God. Yeah. And really the love of God works through the grace of God. And in Titus again, I mean, the, Titus and Timothy were both disciples of Paul. And so he says in um, verse 11 of Titus 2.11, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It's not the law that brings salvation, the grace, the goodness, the love of God teaching us that denying ungodly and worldly lust, in other words, getting rid of that old worldly programming, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's the will of God, to live soberly, rightly dividing, being aware. And this doesn't mean boring at all. This doesn't mean you have no fun. This means your life goes to another depth of intensity, of love, passion, revelation, discernment. It's like you're not living on the surface of your life. You go down deep and, and dig out the, the, the precious jewels of what your life is really all about, what it's meant to be. And then you start to see other people the same way and, and you really begin to love them for who they are and you appreciate them and you look at them in a new way and you don't always judge them. You're always like, you know, kind and you want good things for them and you, you pray for them in, in a truly powerful and passionate way. He says, um, he says, teaching that we, denying ungodly lust and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed 
and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. So you have the whole package right there in that verse. He has come to redeem us from lawless deeds, works that don't work, purified us himself for himself to make us his own special people. And then, then, and then in all of that process, we become zealous for him, zealous for good works, zealous for righteousness. He's saying the whole pur- purpose and process is done through the power of the Holy Spirit. And speaking of um, a people zealous of good works and, and to look for him, um, people, he, the great God, the Savior, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. I think this then makes the, the second coming of Jesus Christ and the end of the age and the work of of um, the culmination, the glorious return of Jesus Christ, uh, something that we actually de- desire, we actually long for. It makes our life um, worth living. I mean, I want my life to count. A lot of people, I think they just put in their time. I don't want to just put in my time. I want to use every, I don't want to kill time. I think killing time is murder. You know, go ahead, dear. One of the things, too, is about, you know, the, the will of God. What is the will of God? Well, uh, in First Peter, it says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent. So I'm not sure if it's First or Second Peter. My, Anyway, but it, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, part of that will of God is for us to uh, go in, and, and preach the gospel. Now, sometimes we take preach and we think, oh, I got to stand up behind a pulpit and preach, but not a, I haven't been called to that. My pastor's been called to that. The evangelist's been called to that. That's the call for all of us. Preaching is just simply proclaiming, communicating the gospel of Christ. And there, there, there's a there's a figure that's proven to be very accurate that 97 percent of those who profess to be born again believers never ever share their faith with someone, explain the plan of salvation to uh, another person in their lifetime. Now that's, that is really criminal. It's appalling. It's, it's appalling. It is, it is criminal. It's just a matter. It's like a farmer that never plants a crop. It's like a fireman that never goes to a fire. It's like a policeman that never makes an arrest. They're trained to do these things. This is what they do. This is who they are. They are a farmer. They are a fireman. They are a police officer. We are believers in Jesus. And, and that is something that we have to really uh, repent of and change. And because we get crippled by fear, the fear of man, uh, so a lot of people don't know how to communicate with people, and especially in our day, you know, where you have to be politically correct. We don't talk about politics or religion here. I might lose my job. But there's a whole, that uh, that maybe opens up a whole other topic that we can address at a later time. But that is that is one of the key things of the will of God that we are really, really missing for the most part as a church here in America. Yeah, and Jesus said that was the big, he gave us some jobs to do before he left, you know. The will of God is to preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons make disciples, you know. And he didn't say try. So go try to heal the sick and go try to cleanse the lepers and go try to cast out demons. He said, go do it. And I think part of the the impotency of the whole thing is that we don't have the right gospel or we don't have that relationship with Jesus Christ that gives us that fearless power. I mean, we, we, we 
we had heroes all over the place, and all of our heroes are, are kind of like, they're just worthless because they're not the kind of hero that we are worthy of. We're worthy of Jesus Christ as a hero. He's the only one big enough to be our hero, and yet he has told us what to do. Now, when he comes back, or when you see him, or when I meet him face to face, however that, you know, happens, what am I going to say to him when I have to give an account of my life? We're not trying to lay a guilt trip on you, but we're just trying to help you to be, you know, to invest your life in the things of eternity and the things that will remain. You know, your time, my time, it's all precious. It's, it's, it's allotted. That means there's only a certain amount of it. And I want to be fruitful for the Lord. I, I don't know why. I just, he, he just put that in me. And as you go, the more you go with God, the more you want to be um, fruitful and, and obedient. And faith in God is, demonstrate, is demonstrated um, by obedience. And, the, and out of that obedience comes the works. Uh, of the good works that follow. Faith and obedience to the Holy Spirit please God. That's the will of God. Good works are the product of faith and obedience. Well, here's a great example, Marjorie, of, uh, of obedience and good works. Now we have it right here in Mark chapter 16. I'm reading verses 14 through 20. Later he appeared, this is Jesus, of course, after his resurrection. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And verses 19 and 20 go on to say, it talks about their obedience. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And we know from the book of Acts, the sign that Jesus was is there at the right hand of God is because of the sending of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came we read in Acts chapter uh, 1, uh, chapter 2, about the, the fullness, the release of the Holy Spirit. And, and Peter says it's a sign that God, Jesus is at the right hand of God exalted, and we know this because he sent out his Spirit. And what did these disciples do that we read about in Mark 16? Verse 20, And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word, through the accompanying signs, amen. Well, you know, that's the will of God. Jesus has pretty much red-lettered it for us right there. His will is to preach the gospel and to, to bring that good news to others. And I think it's kind of like if you have the cure for cancer and you keep it all to yourself and you see your friends all around you dying of cancer when you could have just given them the, the solution, that's not very ethical, it's not very Christian, it's not very okay but the same thing is true here. When we have the message, if you're worried about the will of God, you know, you say, well, I can't, there's nothing I can do. My life is so sewed up, so tied up, so locked up. My relationship with this person has is, is got me so, you know, unable to make any moves. I'm just blocked. I don't have any money. I don't know where to go. You always have moves that you can make yet in the spirit world. You can choose today 
to trust God. You can choose today to give the problem to the Lord. You can choose today to tell someone else about Jesus. You can choose today to ask the Lord to give you someone to love and to, to pray for. And it's not all about racing out there and knocking on doors. I really don't do the door knocking thing. Um, I don't see Jesus doing the door knocking thing, knocking on doors. And I mean, some people, that's great. People get saved that way. People get saved passing out tracts. People get saved by listening to preachers on television. People get saved by reading billboards. People get saved a lot of ways. That just shows you they're pretty hungry, pretty pretty desperate. But you know what? It's just not okay to walk on by. If now, This doesn't mean you're supposed to witness to everybody that you see. There are ways we witness without even realizing it, you know. When, you know, let your life be the gospel they read. And then when time comes, they may come and ask you to open the book and tell them why you're so joyful, why you're this, why you're that. Or wait for the timing. But at the same time, don't waste your time waiting by doing nothing. Pray. Bind the devils. Bind the spirits of, you know, there's such a dullness and a a lethargy over this nation right now. And we are in such a critical time. I know some of you have probably heard about, and maybe you don't want to hear about it, you know, the end of the world and the, the, the blood moons and stuff, and does that mean anything, and what does it mean? Well, if you want to check it out, I'm not sure. i got to check this out, but you can Google it for yourself, and then you'll know, and then you can tell me. Um, and maybe you can tell me tonight. Just call in and tell me. Uh, if the blood moon is going to be on April 15th of this year, uh, there's one on April 15th that's on the Feast of um, the High Holy Day of the Passover, and then there's another one on the High Holy Day of the Feast of Tabernacles. I think it's in October so does that mean anything? Does that and, and is it a coincidence that next year on the exact same two high holy days, Passover and Feast of Tabernacles, there are going to be two more blood moons? Does it mean anything really? Is it a coincidence that we're having a couple of um, eclipses and partial eclipses in that sequence of time? It, 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 when God said the sun, the moon, the stars, you know, they're going to turn to blood and we're going to see stuff going on in the sky and before he comes back. Does that mean anything? Does that, I mean... There's been scoffers that say, well, where is the where is his return? You know, since that the beginning we've heard of this and it's nothing has come to pass. Well, just because there are scoffers does not mean that what they're they haven't seen yet is not going to happen. And so really, seriously, I mean, how much longer do you have? I have the freedom we have now. Um call in, give us some of your questions. Um, don't be shy. Either that or email us me, M. Cole at liferecovery.com, just just drop a line and say, here's my issue. I can't figure this out. What's God's will? I'm not going to tell you what God's will is, but we can sure talk about the, the consider, considerations of it. Yeah, and Jesus said, um, you know, shall receive power, Acts 1-8, after the Holy Spirit has come upon us, and we shall be witnesses unto him in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth, and now it's everywhere. We read, um, I read the scripture from Mark 16. It says they went everywhere preaching the word. So since some people just shudder at the thought of going witnessing, well, we're not here to be going witnessing. We're witnesses going. And that in our family, in our workplace, uh, school, whatever our situation is, God has got us there to be a light for him. And so he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, uh, which is in heaven. We're not doing good works to be seen. We're to be seen doing good works because it's just the life of Jesus flowing through us. And if we could, uh, as far as in, in the will of God, 
if we can just be open in our hearts and, and just a just a prayer like this, if we can kind of get this as part of our the regimen, daily regimen, moment by moment regimen of our thoughts, is that as we're with people and interacting with people, if we could just be praying and and you know, the reason people are, are are not coming to know Christ is because Satan has blinded their minds. It, it's, it's, it says in, in the scriptures. And so when if, if someone's blind, you can have light all around them and they can't see. Uh, but we need to pray. We need to come against the, the binding and blinding power of Satan, the God, small g-o-d of this world, and uh, break his power in prayer over the lives of these people that, are, that as yet do not know Christ. And then as we do that, we, sh- we can be praying, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to see these people, not on the basis of outward appearance or whether they're rich or poor or young or old or whatever their race is or what they look like. None, none of that. But they, we will see them the way Jesus sees them. We say, Lord, open uh, my eyes to see them as you see them. And then open, open my heart to them and open their hearts to me and to the gospel. And then, Lord, open the door of opportunity. Give me the opportunity. I'm not going to try to kick open a door. You give me the opportunity. And be alert by the Spirit of God, alert for those opportunities that sometimes pop up so um, quickly. Sometimes the opportunities are there and we don't even see them. But if we're looking for those and we're ready, God will give us the wisdom. He'll put the words in your mouth. And then say, Lord, open my mouth to speak what you would have me speak to this person today. Yeah, and I think part of the will of God, this is obviously the will of God for all of us, is the general uh, will of God. And even in your specific particular life, maybe the will of God is taking you into a hospital room or maybe the will of God is taking you into a jail cell or maybe he's taking you to preach to those in jail or on the street or in your office or in your cubicle or on the bus or whatever, in your classroom, you know, we are not the ones that are favored. The, 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 this society wants to shut up the people of God, but they wanted to shut Jesus up too. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to be willing to take the heat, but wisely, and know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who, call, who are called according to his purpose. We are not here to um, get out of this easy, as easy as we can or without a scratch. We're here to do the will of God. And, of course, the great men and women of God in the Bible all, you know, took the heat. Some of them died. You know, we're just thinking, oh, you know, I don't want to get that involved. I just want God to help me in my little problem. And then when my little problem goes away, then I'm going to go back to my nice little life and my nice little this and my nice little that. Well, all of our nice little everythings may not be here that much longer. We don't know. I mean, we thank God for every day that he's good. Thank God for the, the protections he's given us every day, the food we eat beds we sleep in, the safety we have. But at the same time, we are going to have to give an account to God for everything he has given us, you know. And so I'm just excited about you not being hung up on your little specific problem, but seeing that your problem is working a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory for you, your light affliction, which is but for a moment, the Bible says, is working in you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory so that all the things, all things that happen to us, not only work out together for good, but also are used by God to create the image of Jesus in us. And so we can rejoice in everything. The Bible says rejoice in everything. 
And God is, uh, someone has said that history is his story. It's God's story. I mean, even though human history, and a lot of human history has been pretty much a, a bloody mess because of the sin and activity of Satan and his influence upon people and the lies of Satan and so forth. But But think of yourself, your personal history that God is building a story, and it's his story that he is building in you. And you have a, you have a story to tell. People uh, like to hear stories. From little kids, like to, like a good story. Everybody likes a good story. That's why we, you know, people flock to the movies. We watch movies. We want a good story. And God is, in, in the, no matter what you've been through in your life or what you're going through right now, God is building his story in you. And you have a great story to tell. Uh, the Apostle Paul, whenever he went to, when he got called up in front of the councils and they were saying, hey, what are you doing preaching Jesus and what's going on? Whenever he got called on the carpet, he would give his story time and time again. And God is, there's an ongoing work of God in you uh, building a story and the more you the more you live with him, the more story you have, the more the the longer the story is, the better the story is, the more effectively he can uh, work through you uh, to communicate those different aspects of that story uh, to the people uh, uh, that you meet. And I think too, that the more um, accurate we are, in the revelation of Jesus Christ and and and, and communicating that story, the more difficult it is for us to be heard because the enemy will try to block out um, the reception. People will, the stupor, the spirit of slumber, stupor, lethargy, boredom, sweep so many people away. And when we don't want to wait until the rescue uh, is, is necessary, but the people don't even know that they need to be rescued. Um, so that can be a tragedy in the making that we aren't even, you know, wanting to deal with or be aware of. Yes, uh, I'd like to, you know, I, I think um, there are, many of you are listening here today, uh, this evening, and, and are really, you know, you want the will of God, and, and you're, you're, you may, some people may be worried about missing the will of God. What will I do if I miss the will of God? Well, God is able to correct our course. He really is. I always wanted to share this as, as we kind of get toward the end of our broadcast this evening. Uh, this is uh, from a wonderful book that I would recommend to you. We're not selling this book, but it's by Wesley Dewell, D-U-E-W-E-L, D-U-E-W-E-L, Wesley Dewell, and it's called Let God Guide You Daily. And I believe it's, you know, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful book that, is very helpful as, as to finding uh, the guidance of the Lord in every in, in your everyday life. And uh, here, here you know, if you're worried about missing the will of God, this might be for you. And, and he, he has a little heading here. When is it unlikely that you will miss God's will? In other words, it's, it's unlikely you'll ever miss God's will in a serious or major way when the following exists. Number one, when your will is wholly surrendered to God. Number two, when you are filled with and controlled by the Spirit. Number three, when you walk in God's light as fully as you understand it. Number four, when you are reading God's Word extensively and endeavoring to conform your life to it. 
Number five, when you have been actively seeking to develop the mind of Christ in all your attitudes. Number six, when you seek to maintain a listening ear toward God. Number seven, when you gladly take time waiting on God for his guidance. Number eight, when you are teachable and always ready to listen to or consider what nature, uh, what mature and spiritual counselors say. Number nine, when you seek to maintain a tender conscience. And finally, number 10, when you keep alert to providential circumstances and open and you are open to any step of faith and obedience that God makes clear. Just a few things there that I think if you he says if you if you're falling in that pattern, and I I would concur that that's that's really true. If you if that's the pattern that's developing in your life, you are not going to miss out on God's will in any major area of your life for sure. God is faithful. He is He is the one faithful to us. It's our faith in His faithfulness that keeps us in His will. And his spirit knows the will of God. It's his spirit that makes intercession for us um, to do according to his will. Now, we just have a minute left, and I want to tell you, next week, our special guest is going to be Karen Steen Finch. Karen is um, a radio host herself. She has lots of experience in, uh, she's a a nutritionalist, uh, an herbalist. She understands um, how our bodies work, the food, the nutrients that we need, um, a lot of uh, the ways of God's medicine and um, how to heal bodies and what to take and uh, how to prepare yourself, protect yourself. Uh, so we're just going to be having her come on, on board next Tuesday night. And I hope you have questions that you can um, either email us or be online to call in when we have Karen Steen Finch with us next Tuesday night. I have an emergency. What is your location? Because there's a war for your soul.